Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Kansas City Royals winning it two games to one. They are still currently in last place in the American League East. Four games under 500, 17 games out of first place, nine and a half out of the third game wild card spot. And actually, we are officially eliminated uh, today. So, quick disclaimer as always for any first time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, fun weekend. Um, you know, taking two out of three from a last place team. So take that for what it's worth. At this point, I'm just kind of, you know, counting down the days till we play the Yankees again because I just really have no use for these series against the Royals and the Reds and all these other dregs of the team, which unfortunately you're in the same spot they are, which is kind of sad to think about. But uh, at least they took two out of three. I know it doesn't really matter at this point, but Good to see them at least performing well. We had some good standout performances that we'll get into. So, um, you know, I'll take it. You know, I just pulled out Canton on Wikipedia, and it's bigger than I thought. You guys have 24,000 people in that town. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a pretty decent-sized town. Yeah, so you got everything. I mean, you got your Walmart. There must be a movie theater. Yeah, we have just about everything. Got a nice downtown area, a couple of bars there, so. Pretty good. Good. There's a Canton, Maine, uh, which is tiny. I wonder if I can pull that up real quick. That town has, uh, let's see, a population of 1,125 people. Wow. So tiny. I used to, because I used to literally haul mail through the western and northwestern Maine region, and that's where that town is, and um, nothing there. There's a nice lake that my girlfriend and I would go swim at, but that's about it. Also joining us tonight from the biggest city of the three of us, I think Denver must be the biggest uh, in Andrew's case of all, but uh, joining us from Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie? Yeah, that's definitely not something you hear from people from Providence, Rhode Island. We definitely get the uh, from the state that nobody knows that people confuse with New York. Rhode Island. Uh, that's that's what I'm accustomed to seeing. But uh, yeah, um, it was only a matter of time. I figured it was going to happen this week that we were going to be mathematically eliminated from making a miraculous comeback and taking the division. But technically, we're not out of wild cards. Uh, oh, we're know. not? Oh, no, so the, not yet. So uh, just the division, miss, we're, we're knocked out. No, it's all good. I miss you know, 
But truth, truth be told, I don't think the Red Sox are going to make up a nine and a half game spread with about 20 games left. I think it's uh, we're 71 and 75, so it's 146. So we'd have to go perfect the whole rest of the year. And I, I just don't see that happening, unfortunately. Um, but you know what? We ended the uh, this, this series with Kansas City on a high note, even though we did not take the season series. We lost it four games to three. Um, the hate has been not really coming my way, but for those that do want to start that train back up, Smith underscore MLB. And, uh, that's where you can find me on Twitter, Smith underscore MLB. Very good. And since I'm on a roll, Providence 190,000. So yeah, I'm rattling off census statistics because, you know, the MLB ones are depressing. (laughs) Yeah. And anyway, so let's get into some news and notes before we get into the weekend top five. Kevin Plowecki designated for assignment. Apparently it happened right after Friday's game in which he went uh, 0 for 2. And uh, Hein Bloom apparently said, uncle, that's enough. And uh, so Kevin Plowecki's future with the Boston Red Sox is over. So Jason, thoughts on that? Yeah, I just I don't know how you could DFA a future Hall of Famer like that. I mean, it's just unbelievable. What are the Red Sox gonna do now? The the oh my god, like they can't possibly win in the playoffs without Kevin. Oh, well, that's right, they're not gonna go to the playoffs, so it doesn't matter. Who cares? Who effing cares? I can't believe how just distraught the entire clubhouse is over Kevin effing Plawecki getting DFA'd. He hasn't even been that good this year. He's been really below average, and he's just – you don't have use for him anymore. It's Connor Wong time. It's Reese McGuire time. You know, I, I feel like the clubhouse wasn't this shook up when they traded Christian Vasquez. So it's just seeing all the quotes from guys like Evaldi, well, you know, you can't win championships without guys like Kevin Plowecki. Well, you can't win championships, period, the way you guys are playing, so who cares? You might as well DFA his ass and get someone else in there. So I just – the whole Plowecki thing, like – it just shows how just unfocused this clubhouse has been all season that like, this is what they're worried about. They're worried about a backup catcher getting DFA'd. Like he's going to be fine. He's going to sign somewhere else next year. He's still going to get paid. You know, he's, he's going to be fine. Like it, it just, it just goes to show how soft that clubhouse really is. Charlie thoughts. I mean, I almost didn't even want to take it away. I just wanted to say, uh, Jason, just keep going. I'll just listen. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of mind blowing. I mean, this guy's hitting two seventeen with a single dinger in sixty games of play. Really, guys? Like, is this going to be the reason? Is this going to be the excuse? This is the hill you want to die on. And I get it. This is a human being. This is a person that you know, a player on the team. But Kevin Plawecki is not the answer. This is not the chosen one. This should not be the hill you're choosing to die on. Kevin Plowecki was never the long-term solution. We thought maybe he'd be like a serviceable backup. He did fine in 2020 at over 300, over 340. Last year did fine, but this year just didn't get it done. He's had literally the same number of games, at-bats, runs. We've seen him. This is what he is. He's He's a backup's backup, and that's it. And the guy that we got in place for him was just brutal. That one just really hurt in the, you know, not so sunshiny area 
Frank German. Just oh god. Franklin. Franklin. Franklin German. He's correcting everybody. And I'm getting corrected too. Thank you, Terry. (laughs) So Franklin German. I honestly feel you know, like there was that comedian that said, Oh yeah, if if there's a guy named Skyler, Skyler's definitely getting his ass kicked every single time. Franklin's probably in that in that bucket too. I don't know anybody with the name Franklin that's gonna, you know, pack pack some heat behind the punch. And um, we didn't see it. That was we did not even one out. Everybody that he he pitched to got on base. It was not pretty at all. the The worst name change in the history of Major League Baseball was when. BJ Upton decided to go to Melvin. <laughs> Melvin Upton. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. And then his uh his numbers just tanked even worse after that. Do you know do you know it was a fun one? What's uh that? one of the better ones that happened. This was uh when Mike Stanton went to Giancarlo. Oh, I true. actually really liked I like that one. That was a good one. Yeah, I think that's an upgrade, and and he's got the the performance to to back it up, so he can call himself whatever he wants. Yep. Not that you know, I'm a big Stanton guy, or you know, I'm I'm glad he's a Yankee though, uh, because eventually he's gonna be injured, you know, most of the year. But real quick on Plowecki, bad hitter. Bad keeping guys on first base. He, he's bad at that. He did gun a few guys down, but that was mostly because the slowest base runners in MLB were trying to steal one on him. And he was getting a couple of those guys over the course of the summer, but he's not going to hold those base runners. Anybody with average to above average speed, they're stealing at will. So, um, there's just no value in him. And the last thing you want to do is keep a guy because he's a great clubhouse guy. I mean, you've got, as Jason alluded to, Nathan Avaldi had some comments. And one of his direct quotes was, he goes, that's a guy you build a World Series team around. Like, really? <laughs> no. Absolutely not. I, I got no problem that they hung out after the game and had beers with them. I, I think that's awesome. Good. Good for them. But at the end of the day, you got to perform. And one of the consequences to sucking this bad is you're going to lose some of your friends. They're going to go play for other people because you guys just weren't gelling. You weren't getting it done. So that's a consequence. And you had Rich Hill kind of echoing similar sentiments. Uh, the big thing that came out of his mouth is we're, you know, we're human beings. You know, we're not just numbers. Well, come on, Rich. <laughs> you know, he, he might be the next guy to go, you know, to be honest. We, we didn't plan on talking about him. Four and two thirds, eight hits, four earned runs, struck out four. That was a typical start at Fenway Park for Rich Hill. Much better road numbers, but at Fenway... Not so great. And how many how many clubhouses that decided to play GM have ever won a championship? Probably none. That that's how you don't win championships because you get too comfortable. Evaldi did 
he did kind of criticize Bloom, uh, you know, for getting rid of Schwarber, getting rid of Renfro. That part, you know, kind of did um, resonate with me a little bit because they did perform. And Schwarber's actually having a much bigger year this year, probably because he's been healthy for most of it. But the other night he hit his uh, 39th home run with the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. So easily would be the home run leader on the team. Does anybody even have half that? Does anybody have 18 home runs? I doubt it. Maybe Devers? I don't know. We can look it up later. Devers has more than 20. Yeah. Oh, does he? Okay. So we do have one guy that (laughs) has more than half of uh, Schwarber's total. But, um, but yeah. So I'm not, I'm not sad. It's, it's, it's a business. And, and if I'm high in bloom, my message to this team is you got to win. Y'all got to step up. And, and have good chemistry because how many teams with bad chemistry have ever won a, a World Series? So I, I'm just, it's not, that that move should have happened in no later than early to mid-August. So thought those are my thoughts on that. And Charlie did bring up uh, Franklin German which is going to mess with me because same spelling as uh, Domingo Herman's last name, but no relation and different pronunciations. Um, he's a guy we've wanted up for a little while and just kind of fell on his face. So throw him out there as much as he can for the next couple of weeks. And let's see if he's got, you know, issues rattling around his head that are going to prevent him from, from being, uh, you know, an effective reliever with the Red Sox. Because <laughs> there's a reason we might have got him for free. He was in the Ottavino trade, who they had to throw in a prospect for us to take on all of Ottavino's uh, salary. Surprisingly, Ottavino has had a pretty decent year last I checked. ERA in the threes. I thought that He's dude, doing okay. I thought that dude was completely milked by the end of last season, but... The Mets uh, figured it out. They might have a good pitching program. You know, I haven't watched a ton, but, I mean, there's a lot of guys pitching really well with the Mets right now, including I think Carlos Carrasco is having a decent year, isn't he? And he's been one of those up-and-down guys for for a while. Yeah, Cookie's Cookie's been pitching better uh, this year than he's probably pitched in, like, four or five years, like, since he was, like, really good in Cleveland. Yeah. Back when um, Corey Kluber was there, it was was – uh, Carlos Carrasco, who people called Cookie, you got Corey Kluber, and then there was the other guy, uh, Danny Salazar. They had that three-headed monster back in the day in Cleveland, and then Cookie left. And I always liked him. Like I, when he when he got sick, I still was a major supporter. Like I still was hoping that he was going to be able to stay in the game, playing the game that he loved. And when he was in New York, they embraced him. Like if you didn't know that uh, he had been in Cleveland before you probably never would have known it. You would have thought he's a lifer in New York. They absolutely adore him there. Yeah, he is a very popular clubhouse guy from what I can tell. And uh, a funny story I heard about him was when he first came to the United States when he was in the minors, he he didn't and probably still doesn't speak English, but the only thing he knew how to do as far as getting food was to order pizza. So he literally had pizza like every day for like a couple of months. And then I think one of his teammates finally started helping him, you know, get food or, you know, ordering from other places or, but I don't know, kind of a cool story. One of those guys you like to see do well. I'm at the point now with the Mets where I'm like, 
I, I love laughing at them, but you know, they made some good moves and I think Showalter has brought a lot of credibility to the team and in terms of leadership and um, Scherzer as well. You know, he's always been a leader everywhere he's been. And I just, I guess I, if, if they won the world series, I wouldn't be sad and I'd probably root for the Mets over the Dodgers. Uh, I don't think oh, I, I definitely would. Yeah. yeah. Anyone but the Dodgers at this point. Or the Yankees, but yeah. Well, in the National League. In the yeah. National oh, okay. League, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, real real quick thing, too, because we were talking about Ottavino, too. I can't cheer for the Dodgers. I can't do it. And Yankees are automatically out. But I am cheering for Aaron Judge to hit 61. I will admit that. It's going to happen Ottavino has an ERA of 2.01. <laughs> He's got a 5-3 and three record this year. He slashed that in half and then did better. It's his best statistical year since 2019 as a member of the Yankees, it's his second best career year. That's yeah. insane. What are they doing in New York? It's got to be the program. They probably put some smart people in there. I know last year when uh, managers were getting fired, they um, they were having issues with hitting coaches and, and stuff. Wow. But, and Ottavino, I think, was born in 1985. He was November 22nd, so... He's going to be 37 at the end of the year, and the dude is, uh, you know, Pumping. still still finding ways to be relevant. Yep. That's insane. Career 345 average. I'm just looking. Now, he's not going to Cooperstown, but still uh, one of the probably more underrated guys uh, of this era. All right. Let's uh, go ahead. The, the The weekend streak continues. The Red Sox can win during the weekend, not during the week, apparently. Uh, so we will do the weekend top five. As always, we will start at the bottom of it in the five spot. Jason, who is it? Yeah, coming in at number five is Nick Pavetta. Um, picked up the win today. Obviously had a lot of run support, so that helped him out tremendously. But he didn't pitch too bad either. Uh, only five innings, the pitch count got up there pretty high. 96 pitches by the time he was done, so that played into it a lot. But 7Ks was attacking the strike zone most of the time, which against a Royals lineup you should be doing. So credit to him for doing that. Um, did run into a Salvador Perez bomb, unfortunately, but Salvador Perez is a really good hitter. He'll do that to you sometimes, so it's okay. Um, ultimately, pitched pretty well. He's had just such a up and down weird kind of season. I have no idea what you're going to get out of Nick Pavetta going forward, going into 2023. I assume he's still going to find his way into the rotation because why wouldn't he? Um, so it, it's going to be interesting. It, he he has good stuff, and when he puts it together, he can look like one of the most dominant pitchers in the league. But this year, we've seen him just sort of get shelled early on and and get shelled by teams that he really shouldn't be getting hit hard by. So it's been a weird season for him. I just hope that, you know, the off season, he just kind of takes a step back, reassesses a little bit, you know, maybe fixes some mechanical stuff and comes into next year a little bit better, a little bit sharper. And, you know, if we see the best of Nick Pavetta, then that's a good start to your 2023 rotation. So uh, like I said, hopefully he puts in the work this off season. Pavetta for the second year in a row set a career high in wins. Last year it was nine. This year it's ten. And now he's officially, actually, might have been his last win. 
but he's officially had half of his career wins as a member of the Boston Red Sox, more than half, which doesn't seem like a lot for somebody like Nick Pavetta, who's been in the league for seven or eight years, first coming from Philly, and then everyone remembers he came over as kind of a a broken kind of project fix-it deal. And uh, he's actually starting to figure it out again. It's not pretty by any stretch of the imagination, but in his uh, last appearance, gave five and a third, start before that, gave five innings again. So we're at least getting five innings. Are we getting that quality start? We're not getting what we saw in June um, as far as innings, but we're still seeing a lot of strikeouts. One thing I'm really happy about is that we're not seeing multiple long balls every game because that was something that was cursing him in July. It just it wasn't working, and he went a, well past a month straight without a win. Um, just looking back at it now, eight straight starts without a win. So he goes sometimes over a week before getting a quality appearance out there. It, it's it's one of those kind of sad things where every once in a while you'll get yourself a, a little gift where your team will throw up a lot of runs, but if the Red Sox had been hitting first and not second, there's a chance they might have let him pitch a little bit more into the sixth inning. I know he's at 97 pitches, but I just I want to see him go longer than five innings because this doesn't really spread that confidence thing that we need to see from our starting rotation. It's just it's just not there. And I really want him to take it to the next step in 2023. I need him to do more. Five innings is cute, but that's not going to cut it. Not on a consistent basis and not if this is your lineup. This this is not going to do it. You need to, more bats, more, more everything, really, because Nick Pavetta is, you know, kind of like a the new Rick Porcello. Porcello had a lot of, of offense behind his starts and his ERA was stupid. It was over four. Um, I don't remember what year it was that he won the Cy Young, but I'm pretty sure his ERA was, wasn't it like 399 or 420? It was something stupid. He just had ridiculous run support. And um, this is one of those guys that if he's not going to get an incredible amount of run support, we can't necessarily trust him to give us six innings, but I will take the win. I'll be happy with it, even though it's just five innings. And hopefully we can build on that. It was the Kansas City Royals, which are a bottom-dweller team. We we need to be able to put those guys away. We need to get six innings of, of, of start time from our starters against these teams. If you can't go six innings against these guys, what makes you think that we're going to get five or six innings from him against some of the top-tier top teams? So it's just something to be mindful of. Porcello won the Cy Young in 2016, had a record of 22 and four. 22 uh, wins led the league. Uh, his ERA actually 3.15. So I think it's kind of rare, though, to see a guy win a Cy Young being in the threes. Normally someone's upper ones, lower twos, something like that. Um, he only had a 7.6 strikeout per nine, which is kind of low for a starting pitcher. But <clears throat> his strikeout to walk rate was 5.91, which led the league. So he wasn't walking anybody, basically. Oh, actually, here it is. 32 walks the whole season. So 
There it is. Yeah. Uh, so I, I messed that up. So it was the year after that he had an ERA 4.65, and the year before his signing was 4.92. Yeah. So that's, that's I think, where I was – that's where my head was going. If you take an average of those three, he had an ERA of 4.17. So that's where my head was at. That's the the most out-of-nowhere Cy Young win of ever. And, and the only reason he won it was because that Tampa writer didn't put Verlander in the top ten. If Verlander's 10th on that guy's list, Verlander wins the Cy Young. Uh, another thing, too, Charlie, you, you touched on it, sort of. Uh, 22 wins led the league the very next year, led the league in losses with 17. So was one of those up-and-down guys. Uh, let's compare numbers here real quick. So Porcello's career ERA was 4.40. Nick Pavetta is still 4.97. He's one epic meltdown away from going back above five. So Nick Pavetta, see, here's where I'm at with him. Here's my Pavetta take for the show. This is who he is, and I don't want to go into another season with Nick Pavetta on the roster where he's not the number five guy. I want... I want four guys projected to be better than Nick Pavetta on my starting staff. And obviously you got to put Bayo in there a little bit of a wild card with the lack of experience, but so be it. You got to, you still got to give your young guys chances. But if Hein Bloom says to me, I think Hein Bloom, uh, <laughs> tripping over my tongue. If Hein Bloom says, I think Nick Pavetta is going to be our number three, we're in trouble because the expectations for whoever his four and five guys are not good. Here's one Nick Pavetta start that uh, stat, excuse me, can't talk tonight, that bothers me immensely. He's got a career whip of 1.38. That's his career whip. That's a lot of guys getting on base, uh, walks and hits per innings pitched. But, um, and he's got a 1.32 whip this year, so it's not like he's under that. This is statistically probably his best year ever. He he was striking out one and a half more batters last season uh, per nine innings, but um, but other than that, his ERA is down about 20 points. If he's got a couple more good starts in the tank, he can drop that closer to four, and on paper, it'll it'll look like not a terrible year. But this is who he is. Every year for him will be a roller coaster, and I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy what they're selling me if if they think he's gonna be projected higher than a number five because that's what these numbers are. And uh, all right, so number four on the weekend top five. Charlie, who is it? We've got our catcher, McGuire. This is uh, Reese McGuire just continues to do work. And, you know, I, I'm beyond impressed with this guy. This is someone who only played, uh, you know, had a limited role, went three for four. Four, had two singles, a double, two runs scored, and two RBIs. For the month of September now, he's 7 for, is that 19 now? So 7 for 19 as an average is four, is what, three, 368. 
So he's 368 this month. He's got one home run, three RBIs. Last month, he had 385 with no home runs, five RBIs. His home run was an absolute rocket. Um, and that was against New York. This is a guy who we all thought, what, what are we doing? Who is this guy? And then we found out some information about him, and it was, you know, a little handsy-feely moment in a not-so-appropriate place. <laughs> um, and that was what we, we knew him as, just that guy. And he has since blossomed into somebody that's been a formidable number two catcher who has these moments of being a number one catcher. He literally has less than half the work in Boston that he had in Chicago and is putting up the same numbers as far as hits, you know, RBIs, walks, his strikeouts are in half. I mean, everything is great. He's everything is great with him. And it's, it's also nice to see him do major work and be the catcher in a game where we win by 10. Yes, it's Kansas city, but you know what? He didn't catch game one. We only won by one. He didn't catch game two. We got shut out. So that's something else to be mindful of. I think that the, the team responds well to him. I think he has a good way of getting his pitchers to do what they need to do. The relievers today allowed one hit in four innings of work, and they struck out six guys. So clearly something's working. And uh, if this is just a foreshadowing of what's to come for 2023, I'm excited for Reese McGuire to be a member of the Red Sox next year as a, a one and a half or the, the two guy, whatever it is. When um, when Christian Vasquez was traded and our catching tandem suddenly became Reese McGuire and Kevin Plowecki, you sort of looked at it and went, oh, boy, really? That's that's what we're going with? And, you know, I said it at the time, the Red Sox don't have a – they don't have an Adley Rushman coming up. They don't have a Luis Camposano coming up. They don't have a Joey Bart. The, there is no catcher – really in their system that is a surefire, like going to play every day, going to be an everyday catcher, and is going to be effective kind of guy. Um, you know, now maybe Connor Wong becomes that, but I somehow kind of doubt it. He's been very inconsistent um, throughout his time since coming to Boston. So now that Plawecki's gone and Connor Wong is up here, suddenly the Reese McGuire-Connor Wong tandem actually doesn't look too bad. If that's what they go into next year with, it's not the worst. It's not great. Could they upgrade that position still? Absolutely, they could. Yep. And I, I actually do think that they will talk with Christian Vasquez in the offseason and try to get him back somehow. Um, but if it's Reese McGuire and Connor Wong, I think that's fine. Reese McGuire's been good. He you know, looks like he can handle the pitching staff pretty well. He's got a really good arm. The way that he can, you know, throw guys out or at least get close to throwing them out just from his knees is pretty impressive. Um, you know, the bat I think is good enough. It, it's not, you know, he'll be hitting in the bottom half of York. So who cares? Um, you know, I, I think it's fine. So I'm good with Reese McGuire. I, I, I think it was a good trade. Jake Diekman has actually been pretty decent since going to the White Sox. He struggled at first, but, He's gotten a little bit better. The ERA's under four, but you know we were talking about Nick Pavetta's WHIP. Jake Diekman's WHIP is one point seven right now, with during his time at the White Sox. So he's still kind of doing the walking guys, putting too many guys on base. Um, and you know Jake Diekman was a guy that 
I don't think served you any purpose going forward. Reese McGuire will. This guy can be your mostly everyday catcher going in, going into next year if you want him to be. So I think the trade has worked out, and uh, we'll see what happens in the offseason with the catching position, whether or not they decide to go get anyone else or they try and upgrade it. But if it's McGuire and Connor Wong, I don't totally hate it. I really don't. I'm good with that tandem as well. I I think Vasquez isn't coming back. Uh, I I could be wrong. I, I wouldn't hate it if I was wrong. But you look at Evoldi and Martinez. I think they were kept with the idea that they would probably at least one of them get the qualifying offer. And you get a little bit of security there for at least another year. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I I just don't. I think it's too big of a gamble at this point based on Evaldi's health. And for all we know, Martinez could be milked. I mean, power numbers way down. Let me see where he was this series. Three for 11. So not not terrible uh, this series. Drove in a run uh, in the first game. And we only won that one two to one. So he played a big role in that game. But I think with Vasquez, he was traded because they had no intention whatsoever of of bringing him back. So if I'm wrong, so be it. You're, you're going to get, you know, a, a pretty solid catcher, you know, a solid six to eight hitter uh, in the lineup back. And if he could work with our pitching staff next year, the way he did this year, I I think you'll take that, but I'm really curious to see Connor Wong specifically. I just, I'm what is his ceiling right now? Cause he's hitting right around 259, about what Vasquez was giving you. He's shown power. I think when his career is over with, I think he's going to have significantly more home runs than Christian Vasquez. Vasquez was only super robust there for a couple years. And so I I got a lot of curiosity with, with Wong. And then finally getting back to McGuire. He's your new Pulecki. Barring another <laughs> another, you know, creepy off the field uh situation. I think he's your your new Pulecki. How how far oh go ahead, Charlie. Yeah, as far as like Christian Vasquez, you know, uh, one thing I'm always monitoring with him is how is he doing right now? How how has he made the adjustment in Houston? The month of September is three for 30 with a single RBI. He hasn't scored a run yet. He's only struck out four times. He's been caught stealing once. He's hitting under 250. He has no home runs as a member of the Houston Astros. He's been there for a month and a half, almost two months. The guy has six RBIs. He has five total runs scored. I do not think that this is what Houston was expecting to get when they got him. I thought there was going to be a little bit more pop if we're talking about Vaz, but he's doing worse in Houston than he did in Boston, and it's not even close. So the Red Sox look almost like a little bit of a genius here by making that move because we got a couple of nice prospects out of it and Vasquez could potentially still come back to Boston. But if Vasquez were to come back to Boston, 
what is his role going to be if Reese McGuire is doing what he's doing? You're going to make Christian Vasquez your full-time catcher? I don't know if I see it happening either. Well, if he comes back, I think Reese McGuire is the odd man out. I think they keep Connor Wong in, in that. Which is unfortunate. Maybe. I don't know. I just feel like I think he could be a surprise. Reese McGuire? No. Well, I, I think he's – I don't think you can go wrong with him as your backup, but I think Connor Wong will offensively be a, a big surprise in 2023. It's early. Yeah, it's really early with Connor Wong, so I'm not I'm not going to say anything bad about him. I, I think that would be unfair. Uh, he's He just had his first career home run not that long ago, and it was a no-doubter, like gone. So I'm curious to see what he can do in a, in a full season. He, he's I, been above average offensively at every level he's ever played. Right. And I think he led... Uh, in 2019, I think he led all of the minor leagues, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe he didn't, but he hit 28 bombs, something like that. So there, there's a little bit of power there. But regardless, I mean, we can kick around scenarios and theories. The The catching situation is going to be pretty uh, intriguing, regardless, right. uh, come November. And I, I think that's something that will get settled early. I don't think we're going to be dragging our feet into February on, on Vasquez. Cause he'll, he'll get scooped by then some other team not named Boston or Houston. will just dive in and be like, well, we'll take him." And it's not like whatever deal he signs is going to break the bank for any organization, really uh, a, a, you know, a small market team, for instance, could still scoop him up, but yeah. All right. So let's get to my guy. On the number three spot in the weekend top five for, I think, the second week in a row, I'm going with Matt Strom. I was impressed last weekend. I'm even more impressed this weekend. He had two appearances. Uh, game one, he uh, basically closed it out. Uh, walked one, struck out one. So not super impressive there, but he did pitch today in the eighth inning and struck out. All three batters. Now, were, was this Bobby Witt Jr. and Salvador Perez? No, it was uh, Nate Eaton, Drew Waters, and, and Kyle Isbell. But um, Strom just absolutely mowed through them. And um, it, it was impressive. And one of my fears here, we need a guy like Matt, Matt Strom next year. You got Schreiber, Hauk, and, and Whitlock in, in some role or another. But you kind of need a guy like Strom. He's making $3 million this year. So if he goes nuts these next two and a half weeks, whatever's left, I'm just wondering, like, is he going to exceed the price point that Heim Bloom is willing to pay? Because Bloom has never really paid for relievers. And there's just no precedence of that. If he's making $3 million this year, what's his market? next year i mean he sounds like potentially a five or six million a year guy and i just don't know if bloom's gonna pay that yeah the important thing to keep in mind too is uh strong will be you know he's past the age of 30 now so if he demands sort of a three-year deal or something do you feel comfortable paying a relief pitcher multiple years at 
you know, call it five, six million, knowing that, you know, it's a guy who's had injury history and he's going to be approaching his, you know, mid thirties pretty soon before you know it. So I don't know how comfortable the Red Sox would feel about doing that. One thing about Strom though is Haim Bloom, whether he wants to or not, he's going to have to pay for a bullpen. I know he doesn't want to, but look how that worked out this year. He, you know, he barely spent money when he went, went out and got Diekman and Strom. Diekman didn't work out. And the rest of the bullpen, he just tried to piece together with guys like Brazier and Matt Barnes with that stupid contract they gave him and whatnot. And it was a disaster. It was a complete disaster. And anyone with half a brain knows that Ian Bloom needs to fix the bullpen going into next season. If they want to contend, which everyone and their mother is telling us the Red Sox are going to be better and they're going to contend next year, that bullpen needs to be fixed. And whether Bloom wants to or not, he's going to have to spend money to do it. So if Matt Strom, you know, is now going to cost you $6 million or 6 and a half, whatever, I think you have to bring him back. And, you know, there's a whole other thing about he says he wants to be a starter and whether or not that happens, I don't know. Right now I'm just going on the assumption that Matt Strom is still going to be a relief pitcher next year. You, you've got to do what it takes to bring this guy back. Because he's proven he can pitch in Boston, he can pitch in Fenway. He's been your best left-handed reliever for sure. So you know those are hard to come by. It's hard to come by reliable left-handed relievers because Josh Taylor's done. We, you know we haven't seen him. Darwin's and Hernandez looks like he's a complete mess now. And like I said, Jake Diekman yet to trade away. So they've got to bring Strom back. He's too important, and the bullpen is too big of an issue to ignore. So. Whether Bloom likes it or not, he better ante up and pay this guy. All the toys are leaving the you know the sandbox one at a time. Uh, Sourmore gone, Taylor gone. Um, Strom's going to be one of the only names because, as you mentioned, Diekman also got shipped out. The Red Sox gave Garrett Whitlock a four-year, eighteen point five or eighteen point like $6 million deal. And immediately after signing that to be a reliever, he was thrown into the starting rotation. So what are we going to do with Strom? Does Strom expect, Would do we want to go two years, 12 million for Strom? Or do you think he'd be cool taking a four year, something similar to what Whitlock got? Now the only thing I the only issue I have with uh with that is Matt Strom is how old? 30 uh, 30 or 31. He's, he's 30 on the dot. Yep. So 30 on the dot. Okay. So if you give him like a 3-4 year deal, maybe you get two and a half, three good years out of him. Maybe you give him the same similar type deal that Garrett Whitlock did or Garrett Whitlock took rather, excuse me friend, uh, excuse my uh wording there. Can't talk either Terry you and me both. Uh 4 years 16 million. Do you think something like that would get it done or four years, 17 million? Do you think something like that would get it done? I think that's too I, long. I think he tops out at three at a, at a higher AAV than what? Three at 15. That's probably what, what it will be. Yeah. Now will Bloom pay it? You know what? Give him three at, you know, if you want to do three at 18. And if we don't pick up the third year option, give him a... $3 million buyout, something like that, or $2 million buyout. Still makes $7 million over the course of two years, 
pitching for the Red Sox. Um, that at least gives us a little bit of a buffer to find more tools into our into our bullpen because the, whatever the situation is next year, there's absolutely no way that the Red Sox bullpen is going to blow up next year like it did this year. There was like five or six arms that just came up and just sucked. <laughs> Phillips Valdez came up, blew it, gone. Darwin's and Hernandez. I don't even know what happened to that. I mean, we're talking about two years ago. Terry, you and I both were like, this is who we want as the closer. This is who <laughs> yeah. should close out games. I drank that punch. I was all about it, man. You and I were sharing the same glass, and we both felt really confident about it. And we said, this is going to be Matt Barnes' job to lose. Holy crap, were we wrong. Matt Barnes was gone, and he came back. So our bullpen's going to have to get better. And yeah, Jason's absolutely right. Adding Strom will put us in the right direction. I know he has something else he wants to add. Yeah, the, the Darwinson case is a real uh, sort of test case for Matt Strom. If if he wants to be stretched out as a starter, that's what I think screwed up Darwinson. He wanted to be stretched out too, and they tried. And he got hurt at, at first. Then he got healthy again. They said, nope, we're still going to stretch him out. They did. It didn't work out. They turned him back into a reliever. They called him up, and he was a complete mess. So this is why that whole narrative – Kind of scares the crap out of me because if he does come back and then they say, oh, no, we're, we're going to stretch about into becoming a starter, that might just be another arm that you ruin because I don't trust the Red Sox pitching program to do that properly. I, I kind of went through hit the starts in Matt Strom's career. Um, I, it was probably last weekend. He had 16 starts in 2019 but 46 appearances. So at some point, you know, ends up back in the bullpen. And he wasn't even good that year, 4.71 ERA. And he's had five starts or less uh, in every year after that. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic that he'll stay as a reliever. And in 2021... Uh, he was limited to just six games and had to have knee surgery, something to do with his patella. So he basically missed most of the season. That's really the only significant injury of his career and where it was lower body. I'm a little bit less sketched out by that. Um, and if you want to talk innings pitched, he's only exceeded 34 innings pitched twice in his career one of those again 2019 because he was starting games 114 innings that season and uh his only other season with a significant amount was the year before that in 2018 61 and one-third innings so this is a guy who doesn't have a ton of mileage on his arm so i'm pretty confident uh in a three-year deal for him as a reliever if bloom does uh intend to uh, make the bullpen a priority but he it's got to be better and anthony bizardo is uh starting to you know show signs of a guy who could be a competent uh effective reliever um so hopefully we get a few more looks at him uh, over the uh, you know couple remaining weeks, I don't think we want to see Kyle Ort <laughs> next year. But 
that that bullpen's the most daunting thing for me because you're probably going to be bringing in guys that are unproven or you're going to be taking big gambles on younger guys in your system and it could blow up again. I think as he builds his rotation next year, Bloom, I think we're going to have a a good idea of who guys are at least and uh, kind of go from there. But all right, number two on the weekend, top five, Charlie. Who is it? We got Kike Hernandez. Kike had a really, really fantastic game three. First two games combined to go just two for five, a couple of singles, a walk, a run scored. Third game, you think he was Trey Turner. Two for three with a single, a double, four runs scored, an RBI, a couple of walks. I make that reference because I feel like Trey Turner scores one or two runs a game, it feels like, in, in L.A. And they have the they literally have an all-star team in batting. You know, th- this is also including the fact that the ghost of Cody Bellinger is still there and Trace Thompson is dominating for the Dodgers. Cody Bellinger is projected to not be in, in L.A. next year. I don't believe they're going to give him the qualifying offer or anything like that. I also think that one of the reasons why Kike, and not because of the article about Heimblum saying or he promised that the team was going to be a lot better next year, I don't think the Dodgers, which is really the only other team that Kike would want to play for, had any place for him. So it was take my $10 million now because I'm probably not going to get $10 million anywhere else right now considering I have had some injury history. I might as well go back to a team that I've already spent a little bit of time with and I did pretty good one year here. But Kike Hernandez right now, if you can continue to do that where you go four for eight in the series with a run scored minimum on average per game, no one can say you're not doing your job and no one's going to be able to say that you're not worth potentially 10 million. So as long as Kike Hernandez can do this on a consistent basis, you're not going to hear any complaints from me. So the fact that Kike was able to do that from that far down in the lineup too, that's another thing that's pretty sweet because you don't have all-stars at the bottom of your lineup. You usually have guys that strike out a lot, the Bobby Dahlbecks, the Jackie Bradleys, things like that. The funny thing was this wasn't his first four-hit game of the month. He had one a couple weeks ago when we faced Baltimore, and that was another blowout. So as far as the month is concerned, he's still hitting about 250, but after this game, that's going to go back up. Um, I am curious to see. I'm curious to see what Kike Hernandez ends up doing next year too. Like this year's done. There's no pressure. There's nothing that we're playing for. I'm curious to see what the players are going to be building on for 2023 and beyond, because there's a lot of players that need to prove it because 2022 feels like some of them may have given up given up and and I and I hate to say that but that's the perception that's my perception that players have just quit and perception is reality to me if you look like you quit I'm probably not the only person that thinks that and if enough people do think that it's kind of hard to sway us in a different way especially when you guys are 71 and 75 so super pumped for Kike to have a, a great week you know going back to the positive for it um I'm happy it's happening to him because this is one guy that I thought, you know, he's done. His season is over and he's come back and very quickly, you know, put together a very Kike, Kike series. 
you know, he had moments of this last year too, where he would go off and then he'd get quiet and then he'd go off again. So he's, I, I don't want to say he's back because I hate that expression, but he's, he's at least working really hard to get back to where he was. Yeah. It's good to see him healthy again um, because he really is uh, an important part of this lineup when he's healthy and he's playing like this. And I'm glad they brought him back. I thought the contract was smart. They were smart to get out ahead of it when they did and not let him test free agency too much because I do think that there are other teams that would have been very interested and maybe would have come in over $10 million for him. So uh, despite the fact that he did miss a lot of time this year, I still think you know he has a good reputation around the league. So I'm glad they brought him back. Glad that he's going to be there next year. Um, I just like the kind of hitter that he is. You know, he just he's got 70 hits this year, and 22 of them are doubles. So that's an important thing to have. And you know, and and the fact that he can bounce around the lineup, he can either hit leadoff or he can hit further down. Um, his versatility is super important. Um, he's basically just as versatile as Brock Holt was, but he's a far better hitter and just a far better all-around player. Um, and that's a valuable guy to have. And unlike some of the other guys in the locker room who I talked about earlier, I think that he he gets it and he's not he's not soft. He's not, you know, I, I think that he's a good clubhouse guy to have around. I actually kind of do believe him in a way. The whole story about, you know, Haim promised me that this team is going to be better next year, and that's part of the reason why I re-signed. Kind of, I'm kind of inclined to believe him. A lot of players, I'd sort of go, okay, yeah, whatever. PR spin, just trying to make it look good, blah, blah, blah. I think he really cares about winning. Um, I mean, it's always known his whole career. When he was with LA, they just won. You know, he was always in the playoffs and, you know, just really didn't have any losing seasons out there. Um, so I think that he does care about the future of this team and what's it going to look like in 2023. Are you going to put better pieces around us so that we aren't in last place, you know, by July of next season and, you know, the fans aren't tuning out. Um, I think that is important to him. So like I said, glad that he's back, glad that he's healthy and performing really well. Um, at this point, I'm kind of more just excited for him to, get to the off season and really rest and really make sure that hip is fully recovered and, you know, do everything he needs to do to get ready for next season, because he's going to be super important in that lineup. So um, happy that, that he signed the contract and if he keeps performing like this, then he should go into next year with a lot of momentum and uh, you know, he, he'll be crucial for however that lineup looks. And right now we don't know, we don't know who's going to be there and who's not, but uh we know that at least Kike will be in there in some capacity, and uh, that's a good feeling. I don't have a ton to add. I, I have been impressed with his walk rate, especially uh, in the last couple of weeks. 373 on base, and then if you want to go by just the last week, a 464 on base. So the guy's helping the team win uh, in a lot of ways. The one thing I love about him coming back, especially with it being a one-year deal, is it's the ultimate insurance policy. What if Xander doesn't come back? I still think that's about 50% at this moment. You can use Kike at shortstop if you want to. There's just so much you can do with him. Like He's an upgraded Brock Holt, and, and so is Christian Arroyo, in my opinion. 
at this point. I, I think Kike is probably going to, you know, probably have a higher, you know, wins above replacement next year than, than a Royal will probably. But still, I, I'm a big Kike guy, and there's not many one-year contracts that I've ever hated besides... Um, who did we hate last year in the rotation? Um, oh, who is that? Garrett star? Richards. Garrett Richards. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's probably the only one. Uh, but I'm good with a one-year deal. And I know Tommy Pham had a good game today, but those good games have been few and far between in the last couple of weeks. So Kike hopefully is going back to the leadoff spot next year. I would think, even if Fam's on the roster, and I'm kind of hoping that Fam isn't at this point. I, I, I don't know. I just think you're gambling if you're gonna get a lot of production out of him uh, in his age 35 season next year. So, but love the Kike uh, extension. All right, finally, the number one spot on the weekend top five. Jason, who is it? Yeah, surprise, surprise. The number one on the top five is your best hitter, Rafael Devers, who had a really good series, a monster day today to cap it off. Ultimately went six for 13, added three more RBIs to his total. He's now got 82 on the season to go along with his uh, team leading 26 homers. I mean, again, another guy that's going to have a ton of eyes on him in the offseason. And, you know, his situation isn't exactly as dire as Xander's because Devers at least still has that one year of arbitration left. So it's not as crucial. But I think we've we've all talked about it and I've said it numerous times. If Rafael Devers goes into the 2023 season without an extension in hand, it's Mookie Betts all over again and you're going to lose him. So. Super, super important that they they get to him. They get to Bogarts this offseason. Um, you know, Rafael Devers is one of the best pure left-handed hitters in the game. And his defense has improved dramatically this year. I think that's something that he really focused on because he was getting tired of hearing the DH talk surrounding him that, oh, you know, if the Red Sox sign him, they'll move him to DH because he's inevitably going to suck as a third baseman. I think he took that personally, and his defense has been great. Um, I've referred to him as left-handed Adrian Beltre for years, and I stand by that. I think that's exactly what he is. And I think Adrian Beltre is one of the biggest screw-ups the Red Sox organization has had in terms of not bringing that guy back. And I understand it was, you know, the one year he had here was sort of, you know, a, a make-good kind of year, and uh, he sort of was inconsistent before that, but – you let Adrian Beltre go, and he went on to Texas and had an incredible career. Um, it's a shame it was in Texas where he couldn't win a damn thing, but still, don't let that happen with Devers. Don't let this guy go. He's, again, just an incredible pure hitter. You know, you got guys like David Ortiz who watch him and say, yeah, he reminds me of me. Like, what more do you need to see or hear to lock this guy up and just give him whatever contract he wants? It's just... He cannot go into next season without an extension. It absolutely cannot happen. And if it does, then head's got to roll because that's completely unacceptable. So that's all for the offseason as far as this weekend. Just, again, monster monster weekend for him. Mostly, mostly damage was today. But uh, 
he just continues to have an incredible year. And it's it's going to be nerve-wracking this offseason. Just every bit of news about Rafael Devers are just going to be sitting here going, oh, let's hope it's good news. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I'm a huge Devers supporter, regardless on if he has a an average week, a good week, a great week, a stellar week, a bad week. It doesn't matter. I, I'm never going to be down on Rafael Devers. I think back at you know some of the earlier shows that we've done, and I'm kind of going down memory lane, even before Jason, you and I were part of the show when it was the Benny and the Bets podcast. And there was a, you know, we're not really sure where Devers is going to be, but the raw power is there. You can't not have it in the lineup. How many guys have we said that about four years ago, five years ago, about a player who's still with us, who's dominating for us, and is not getting paid. It just blows my mind. Like the mindset of this team. He had a hit in every single game, one for three, one for four, and then follows that up with a four for six performance. Goes six for 13 in the series, five singles, a double, three RBIs in that last game. Am I missing something? Why are we not paying this man? What excuse do we still have for not paying him? Oh, well, we messed up. Duh, you've been messing up for two plus years and he still has no contract. This will go down as possibly, if it happens, the worst botched contract in Red Sox history. And I say that more than any contract in our lifetime. People are going to argue that it wasn't worse than Babe Ruth and that's fair, but in our lifetime, Few are going to be worse than this if he doesn't end up getting re-signed. Not a whole lot I can really add. I still um, laugh my ass off when the Bluminati tries to blame Dombrowski for screwing this up and not extending him early. Um, but it's all on Bloom. It's all on ownership. Has to get done. Has to get done. And um, I I would be shocked if Devers arrives at spring training without uh you know an eight to ten year deal uh, already signed. So we'll see, and I it, it directly affects the Xander situation as well. So um, that those things aren't going to be well. Xander will have opt out, but I still can't see Devers uh you know that situation lingering. Um, you know, before mid-February. So, all right, let's go ahead and get into um, the Reds series. How exciting is that? Another last place matchup, two irrelevant teams. But game one, we've got Brian Bayo versus a guy named Nick Lodolo. Who I've never heard of. Lodolo is disgusting. Look is at what it? he's done the past. Oh, yeah, he's sick. Lodolo is actually the truth. Like when people were really sad and, and upset about the fact that um, Luis Castillo was gone, not everyone was that upset. Lodolo is actually going to be a star. And if I'm Lodolo, I'm pitching my heart out so I can get out of Cincinnati because he's he's another name to keep an eye out for. Uh Few people make your heads turn like him. 
he's someone to keep an eye out on um, for the foreseeable future. I'm not sure how old he is. I know he's younger. Um, if I had to, I'm going to look it 24. up right now. 24 yeah, years he's old. he's young. He's young and he's good. He uh, he struck out 11 guys in back-to-back performances. And this is a guy that has no run support. So the ERA isn't pretty. But if you look at what he's got the capability of doing, 11 strikeouts, 8 innings against Milwaukee. Yes, please. Absolutely. So Lodolo is, is a fine pitcher. A fine, fine pitcher. Also struck out 11 against Pittsburgh. And if you go back three starts ago, 9 against Colorado. So... Uh, yeah, good. that that doesn't look good, and he's a lefty, so that's going to shut down a few of our key hitters. Verdugo, Rafi probably. 6'6", I'm guessing he weighs more than Chris Sale. But um, yeah, 205 actually, there it is. And uh, he comes from the same school as Durbin Feltman, who is like one of our bigger busts out of the bullpen. Um. But yeah, so anyway, so who do we have winning game one? Is Bayo going to shut down this Cincinnati team? Like which young stud is going gonna, is gonna to shine? I, I got the Red Sox in this one. I think Bayo, he's been pitching really well lately. Um, I do worry about them going up against Nick Lodolo. It's a guy they haven't seen before. You know how I feel about that, you know, especially 6-6 coming from the left side and a guy they've never seen before. Um, not a good formula for the Red Sox in general, but I'm starting to really trust Brian Bayo and what he's doing lately, and I just can't I can't ever bet on this Cincinnati Reds lineup because it is atrocious. It's such a bad lineup. He should absolutely be able to shut them down. Hopefully the Red Sox can work the pitch count a little bit, get Lodolo out of there early, get to that awful Reds bullpen and maybe tack it on there. But I think they'll pull it out. Well, what's a show, Jason, when we we don't have a little bit of disagreement? I've been 99% with Jason today. Here's my one percenter. Lodolo's the better pitcher right now. It's not a question. Next year, in two years, who knows what will happen? Lodolo is a year younger than Bayo. And we thought Bayo was like, oh, my God, he's so young. He's going to be fantastic. Bayo's 23. Lodolo's 24. He's, he's just one year older. And he's got far more experience this year. I'm going with Lodolo right now because that's the pitcher that I trust in this situation right now. And it hurts me to say that because I want Bayo to sh- – I want him to just shut everyone out. I want him to strike out 15 to 20 guys a game. I just don't think it's going to be 2022 that we see that magic happen. So I'm going to go Lodolo Reds game one. I don't have a coin on me, so I can't flip to decide which way I want to go. But I've got my Jerry Remy book, which has been sitting on this podcast uh, desk all year long for no particular reason. I've just had it on the desk. But I'm going to flip this. So head side up, I'm going with Bayo. Back side up, I'm going with uh, Lodolo. Because there's just, you could go either way. Which bullpen's going to be the biggest dumpster fire of the two? You know, so here we go. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm on both. 
try it one more time. Oh, all right. <sighs> Bottom side up. I'm going with the Reds. Uh, all right, so game two, we have uh, apparently there's a little bit of disagreement on the sites, but majority of them have Michael Walker going on Wednesday, which does line up. That would be, um, you know, that would be the fifth day. So uh, he will be facing journeyman Chase Anderson, who has not had a very good season, but had a pretty good last few games, um, not giving up. Uh, more than two runs in any of his last three starts. Not a big strikeout guy either, though. Uh, Jason, how do you see that one going? Yeah, I'm not going to bet against Michael Waka in this one, especially going up against Chase Anderson, who, like you said, he's a journeyman. There's nothing special about this guy. Got an ERA over six on the year. So Red Sox, especially in that ballpark, the, the ball tends to fly out there in Cincinnati. They should tattoo this guy. So I, I could see Devers taking him deep, Xander taking him deep, even like they should absolutely pound this guy. And I don't think Michael Walker is going to suddenly have a disastrous start against Cincinnati. So I'll take the Red Sox for that one as well. Reese McGuire taking him deep. Charlie. I don't think this is a question. I think this is too simple. You have Michael Walker against a nobody. So we split the series. We go one, one, and that's it. Uh, besides, I can't disagree with Jason twice. That would just be disrespectful. So, you know, we're pretty good like that. So it's going to be a split. I think Waka will roll through this one and uh, get a four-year contract from the Astros next season. So I've got them splitting the series as well. Jason has a sweep. Charlie has a sweep or no? No, no I no. split. Oh, split. Yeah, right, because of that yeah, 1% disagreement, I remember now. Uh, so that will wrap. We will probably release the totally legit or calling the cops episode on Wednesday instead. So be on the lookout for it that day. Everybody have a great start to your work week. Take care.